Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 193 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline, and we've reached the final week of our 2021 NFL Draft Division Reviews. For all of our patient West Coast listeners, we're going to cover your favorite teams on our next two shows, starting tonight with the AFC West, where we find three teams that missed the playoffs last season and one that fell just a game shy of back-to-back Super Bowl titles. Tony, any major themes you see when it comes to this division? I think the major theme is, uh, hours before the draft, the Denver Broncos think that they're going to have a new quarterback before the season begins, but they weren't going to select it through uh, from the 2021 draft. Obviously, it may come in the trade. It may come in the trade of a form, a form of Aaron Rodgers, outside shot of uh, Deshaun Watson. But I think... Uh, I, I really wish I was a fly on the wall in the Broncos uh, war room at that point in time to see if they really flipped the script on what they were going to do after that announcement was made public uh, about Aaron Rodgers saying, I'm not going back to Green Bay in 2021. Now we will get to Denver and so much more on this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action. And Bet Online is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip off, face off, or pitch, Head on over to betonline.ag and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, as we always do, we will go in pick order, and that starts with the team that Tony mentioned in the open here, and that is the Denver Broncos, who were picking ninth overall. And as Tony kind of alluded to here, staring Justin Fields right in the face. He's there for the taking. They don't have to trade up. Rarely are you at the back of the top 10, and you can pick up a quarterback like Justin Fields. But they decide to pass on him again, you know, to be a fly in that war room and to know what exactly was going on, what they thought was going to happen. And, you know, obviously there have been some Deshaun Watson rumors uh, as well coming out this week, uh, thanks to former teammate Kareem Jackson. Uh, But instead of going with Justin Fields, they went with Patrick Sertan, the second cornerback out of Alabama at number nine overall. And, you know, Sertan is a good player. I have no issue with the pick in terms of value and in terms of the fact that it does fill a need for Denver who had some issues in the secondary last season. He's got excellent size, good speed and athletic ability. Obviously the bloodlines run deep. His father played the same position for a long time in the NFL for the Miami Dolphins. Um, He's going to improve that secondary. They're going to be a lot better on the back end, maybe not immediately, but definitely down the line as Sertan kind of irons out some of the, uh, the wrinkles in his game. But I mean, the real question here isn't was Sertan a good pick or was it appropriate value? The real question here is, What's Denver going to do at the quarterback position? And will they regret passing on Justin Fields? Justin Fields or Mac Jones, who I know that they also liked a lot. They thought he could run his offense. But, yeah, I, I mean, I do think Sertain 
Yeah, they're going to force him into the lineup very quickly. One, because they need him. Uh, and, and two, you have to justify the pick. The guy was a top 10 selection. Uh, he's got a great amount of upside. A lot of people were surprised he was selected after J.C. Horn, as I said time and time again. I had Patrick Sertain rated just slightly higher than J.C. Horn, but I feel like two or three years down the road, Horn can be the better corner. He's got to learn to make plays with his back to the ball. Uh, again, you know, you, you're looking at not only Sertain, but what happens moving forward as far as the Broncos are concerned with the quarterback position. Are they able to make a trade for one of the disgruntled veterans? Is Drew Locke able to improve and really take his game to the next level? Or are they forced to put Teddy Bridgewater in their center? That is what will dictate the success of this selection, I believe. Now, three picks on the second day for Denver, starting early in the second round, trading up to select North Carolina running back Javante Williams, a do-it-all type of running back, really rising throughout the draft process, a guy that can play on all three downs and, you know, should you serve Melvin Gordon as the starting running back at some point this season and probably be the long-term option for the next several years through his rookie contract for Denver and two picks in the third round towards the end of the frame, Wisconsin whitewater center, Quinn Miners at pick 98. And I say center, but he can also play guard. He dominated at the senior bowl friend of the show. We interviewed him on this podcast. Go back and listen to that. Uh, one, one of our favorite guys to talk to certainly, uh, certainly an entertaining guy, you know, not the kind of guy that's going to pull out in motion or, or get to the second level super quickly, but definitely a mauler on the inside. And, you know, no one could get by him during senior bowl practices. And for him that likely solidified his spot on day two. And then Baron Browning, one of the many talented Ohio state linebackers this past season was the selection at pick one Oh five. Denver has a couple of free agents in their linebacker room. Baron Browning probably doesn't play a ton this year, but should take over next year. And solid player didn't go as highly as his teammate Pete Werner did, but still ended up as a second day selection and should wind up being a starter for Denver down the line. You know, I like the three players. I just question the fit. And, and this is what I mean. You know, Javante Williams, I think was good value there. Obviously, as you mentioned, he was quickly rising up draft boards. They got Melvin Gordon. They got Royce Freeman wasn't a big position of need. So, you know, there's only one football to go around. You got a couple of pretty good backs there. You're bringing Javonta Williams. I love Quinn Miners, but again, I mean, you've got Lloyd Cushingberry playing center, who uh, they selected in the third round last year. You got Dalton Reisner at one guard position, second round selection in 2019. The other guard selection, you got Graham Glasgow, who they gave a ton of money to. I like the player. I think Quinn Miners is a guy who could be starting by the end of his rookie year in the NFL. I just don't know where the Broncos are going to put him. Sort of the same situation with Baron Browning. I mean, Baron Browning is the antithesis of starting inside linebacker Josie Jewell uh, in the sense that Josie Jewell is incredibly instinctive. He does a great job reading and diagnosing, but he's a poor athlete. Whereas Baron Browning is a tremendous athlete. He's very explosive. He gets from point A to point B quickly. He's exceptional playing downhill, but his instincts pale in comparison to Josie Jewell. He's a guy who has to think and he's slow to react. So again, I like the three players. I just don't see them as good fits. I, I, I see these guys as being drafted in positions where it was not great need. And some of these guys may not be playing for a while. Granted, Denver does have a new uh, general manager and uh, George Payton. He maybe obviously wants to put his mark on the team. We'll have to wait and see. Now, six picks on the third day for Denver. We'll start in rounds five and six with Texas defensive back Caden Stearns, Indiana defensive back Jamar Johnson, and Auburn wide receiver Seth Williams. And when you look at these picks here, I mean, two defensive backs in round five after selecting a defensive back 
in the first round when you had a quarterback need. Obviously, Denver felt the need to address the secondary. Jamar Johnson, good player. You know, he's he's a safety who can defend both the run and the pass. Probably not a true rangy center field type of free safety, um, but you know, a good player who you know we talked about in the lead up to the draft as a guy who was coming up draft boards. So to see him fall this far seems like it was good value for Denver. And then Seth Williams, I mean, coming into the season. If I told you Seth Williams was going to be a six-round pick, you'd probably laugh at me. But here we are, a very poor 2020. Uh, his teammate Anthony Schwartz went three full rounds before him simply because of the speed factor that Schwartz brings. Uh, you know, Williams has struggled in a lot of uh, big-time matchups against top cornerbacks, but he's a good receiver. He's tall, a bit lanky, so the strength could be an issue. But overall, you know, a guy who can make big plays, and, and I think an excellent pick in round six here for Denver, uh, very low risk for the upside that he could bring. Especially with the need at the receiver position. I mean, Deshaun Hamilton tears his uh, Achilles. He's he's gone for the uh, 2021 season. So I think Seth Williams is going to be relied upon, you know, for, for significant playing time. They got Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, the speedsters there. They got Cortland Sutton. Now you had uh, Seth Williams. So I, I think that was a terrific uh, selection. Uh, I like the selections of both safeties. Jamar Johnson's a guy who probably should have gone much earlier than he did, but he had some significant off the field issues. More of your strong safety type, up the field type of guy who can really do a good job covering tight ends or backs. Caden Stearns is a good athlete. He's just got to polish his game. He's got some upside. Uh, I would be shocked if both of these guys are not on the active roster come September. Now three more picks for Denver in the seventh round. LSU cornerback Kerry Vincent. Junior, another defensive back for the Broncos, and two defensive ends, Ohio State's Jonathan Cooper and Mississippi State's Marquis Spencer. Uh, Carrie Vincent, definitely a good athlete, not the biggest corner, but he was productive at LSU. And, you know, again, I think a solid value pick here in the seventh round. Jonathan Cooper, another guy productive at Ohio State, may not have the you know size upside or the speed upside that you might dream of as a pass rusher off the edge, but that's why he goes in the seventh round. Um, you know, a productive player who, you know, has played some good football throughout his career. And then Marquis Spencer, you know, again, solid size, solid speed, but not exemplary in any of those situations. Kind of similar to Cooper in the way that, you know, he was productive. He got the most out of his ability in college, but just doesn't have a ton of upside. I think the Kerry Vincent uh, selection could be one of the steals in the draft. If you go back to 2018, 2019, before he opted out last season, Kerry Vincent was a terrific cornerback for LSU. I think he's going to be a real good dime back. I think eventually he could be a real good nickel back. Uh, a little bit short, but explosive with terrific ball skills. I mean, the other guys are basically just depth type of players. I, I think it'll be difficult for them to make the active roster. I think they're more practice squad type players. A bunch of undrafted free agents for the Broncos. Two guys, we want to talk about them taking a lot of defensive backs and a couple of similar type defensive ends on the third day. Well, an undrafted free agency they got two wide receivers who are very similar in some ways. Warren Jackson out of Colorado State, really big guy. I think he's about 6'6", but somewhat limited athletically. The very least, he's a guy that could be a threat in the red zone if he makes the roster. was pretty dominant in 2019 before he opted out last season. And then Brandon Mack, not as tall as Warren Jackson, but another big possession receiver with limited athleticism. Obviously, the Broncos looking for you know that type of guy to potentially fill out the bottom of their roster or stash on the practice squad. And then Andre Mintz, pass rushing specialist out of Vanderbilt, listed as a linebacker, should fit in Denver's scheme. 13 tackles for loss and 10 sacks over the past two seasons. A guy who could definitely make the roster and provide some juice for Denver off the edge. Tony, what do you think of these guys and any other undrafted free agents you like for Denver? I love the signing of Mintz. Uh, I mean, he has a real chance to make the active roster. 
he's a terrific fit for the Broncos system. And more importantly, you know, he's a guy that you can use on Sundays and save money on during the week because he's not going to cost you a whole heck of a lot. I thought Mintz deserved to be drafted. I think he got, found the perfect uh, home in Denver. Drew Himmelman, the offensive tackle from Illinois State, is interesting. He was one of the few guys that actually played spring football in the FCS, then signed an NFL contract right after the season was over. Uh, he's a bigger guy. He was given a draftable grade coming into the season. I don't know that he's going to make the active roster more of a uh, practice squad type of guy, but someone who's going to play a lot of football over the course of, uh, or I should say, is going to end up playing a lot of football in 2021. Now, moving on here to the Los Angeles Chargers, who decided they wanted to protect Justin Herbert's blind side a bit better and selected Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, currently penciled in as their left tackle on the depth chart. May not have ideal height or, or arms for the left tackle position, but he is an elite level athlete, which was confirmed by his pro day. And overall, I mean, this is a high floor pick because even if Slater doesn't quite pan out at left tackle, you could try him on the right side. You can move him inside to guard. He's got some positional versatility in terms of his skill set that, you know, really makes it harder for him to fail than a lot of other, you know, players who might be pigeonholed to one position. I mean, Tony, I know you actually prefer him at the guard position. What do you think of this pick knowing that LA is going to use him at tackle? Yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer. They, they had to Im- improve their left tackle spot. They hope that they did with Rashawn Slater. I'm not sold that he's going to be a left tackle, but I know this. Even if you stick him out at left tackle, he's improved that position uh, for, for the Chargers immediately. I thought it was a joke when people were talking about him being right up there with Penny Sewell as, as far as the top left tackle is concerned. Even, some people even had him higher than Penny Sewell, I should say. To me, that was insane. Uh, Slater's got a good amount of upside. You know, he's got some physical limitations because of his size and his height and, and the shorter, if he would, arms. He's good. I like him better as his own blocking guard. I have no uh, problem with the Chargers taking him where they did as their potential starting left tackle because of the need. Now, three picks on the second day here for the Chargers, starting in round two at pick 47 with Florida corner Asante Samuel Jr. Talked about Patrick Sertan, the second having bloodlines. At the same position, Santi Samuel, same thing. Dad played the position for a long time in the NFL, and he's got the speed. He's got the ball skills. Um, you know, this guy has a lot of talent, but he is a bit small. However, he does have the ability to overcome it. And as a result, solid pick at the end of the second round. Tennessee wide receiver Josh Palmer at number 77 in round three, a guy that, you know, we discussed on the show. I know, Tony, you wrote about him a little bit as well as a guy that teams were looking at in this range. Ends up going there, you know, didn't produce in college, but, You know, we say all the time, a lot of times it's what's going on at the school at the time you're there. That's really going to affect production. And and that's the case here for Josh Palmer. But he does have a lot of ability. And that is an open depth chart. Uh, Mike Williams is the number two. They don't have much after him behind Keenan Allen. And Mike Williams is a free agent next year and hasn't really stayed healthy and been particularly consistent throughout his career. So you could be looking at, you know, the third receiver this year and possibly the second receiver next year. And then Trey McKitty. Tight end out of Georgia, guy I don't think a lot of people expected to go in the third round. I wasn't terribly productive at his college career, whether it was at Florida State, whether it was at Georgia, but he's got good growth potential. He's a good player. I mean, he's not, you know, the typical seam stretcher who's going to get deep downfield and and really threaten the defense that way. But I think McKinney's a pretty solid player, Um, you know, could have a a role looking at him as early as next year if Jared Cook moves on as well. Tony, what do you think of day two for L.A.? If Asante Samuel was three inches taller, he's a first-round pick. He's a terrific cornerback, but in this day and age where everybody wants corners that are six feet tall, you know, he falls short in that area. But still, I mean, 
real good ball skills. And, and I'm talking about a guy that is able to consistently get his head back around, track the pass in the air and really position himself to, to defend throws. I like the pick a lot. Josh Palmer, you know, as you mentioned, we said on this podcast, he was moving up draft boards, not the fastest guy in the world. A large part of his problems were due to the, the poor quarterback play at Tennessee, but he is a consistent pass catcher, but a real good senior ball. And I think it's going to be another, just another pair of reliable hands uh, for Justin Herbert. I would agree with you on McKitty. McKitty was all over the place as far as draft boards were concerned. I did get some, uh, some third round grades. I got some sixth round grades, obviously, uh, the Chargers felt that the sixth round was uh, uh, the third round was where he deserved to go. I mean, he's consistent. He's not super fast. He doesn't really break it downfield that much. I, I like him as sort of a traditional type of uh, tight end. I never had him as a number one tight end. Obviously, the Chargers feel differently. Now, five picks on day three for the Chargers, starting with Duke defensive end Chris Rumpf at pick 118 in round four. Nebraska offensive lineman. Brendan James, another friend of the show. Lots of those in this division at pick 159 in round five. Two picks in the sixth round. Iowa linebacker Nick Neiman at pick 185. And Missouri running back Larry Roundtree at pick 198. And then Georgia defensive back Mark Webb. Uh, I think that was probably the uh, the third corner selected from Georgia. Yeah, because DJ Daniel didn't get selected. He was an undrafted free agent. Uh, you know, it's a loaded Georgia secondary, certainly with uh, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell going in the top 35 picks as well. I mean, Rumpf, listen, very good production at Duke, but doesn't have those elite traits to get you drafted in the top 100 as a pass rusher these days in the NFL draft, but, you know, could be a solid player and, you know, proved to be a decent fourth round pick. I just don't see a ton of upside in that pick. Uh, You know, James is a guy kind of like Slater. You can move him along the line a little bit. Certainly not the athlete of Rashawn Slater, which is why he's going, you know, 150 picks later. Um, But, you know, listen to our interview with him. Definitely an interesting guy. Knew he wanted to go to Nebraska from the get just by going to their spring game. So, you know, you get some fans in the seats in in L.A., which certainly can be a problem at times for the Chargers. And and certainly Brendan James will play up to that level. Nick Neiman, kind of a backup guy you're going to put in the middle. As a linebacker, not great in coverage, more of a two-down type of player. Uh, Tony, what do you think of what the Chargers did on the third day here? I had Rump graded lower. I mean, because, you know, he's got size and speed limitations. He's been okay, but he's a good fit for what the uh, Chargers do and the way they align their uh, their, their front uh, seven and, and what they ask their front seven to do. So I, I could understand that pick. James is a guy who I think will start off as a backup. He could eventually develop into a starting guard in the NFL. Don't think he's a tackle, which is where he played in Nebraska. Had a solid week of, uh, of senior bowl practices. I love the selection of Nick Neiman. I know I had him graded as a free agent seventh rounder, but the fact is this. If you watch the Iowa film, Neiman was all over the place, consistently making plays on the football. He then knocked it out of the park with a tremendous pro day. And I would not be surprised if two years down the road, Nick Neiman is a starting the linebacker for the Los Angeles Chargers. Now about eight or nine undrafted free agents signed by the Chargers here. And a couple guys that stood out to me, Ameno Bangbamiga, linebacker from Oklahoma State, the guy we've discussed here before. Good run stopper, really piled up the tackle numbers. Not great in coverage, not an elite athlete by any stretch, uh, but definitely a potential special teams asset, you know, solid football player. And he actually, uh, a little tidbit, went eighth in the CFL draft. So if it doesn't work for him in the NFL and he doesn't end up making the roster, he can go right to the CFL and then he'll be playing a starring role. Uh, Also, Forrest Merrill, defensive tackle out of Arkansas State, uh, 320 pounds, but an explosive guy moving up the field. 
you would think he'd be, you know, more of a gap clogger, but you know, he's not, the strength doesn't really match the the frame. The explosiveness doesn't really match the frame. He's kind of a bit backwards in that sense. But if you get him some time on the practice squad to develop, uh, maybe build up that strength and maintain the explosion, you could have something here. And he's a good fit. I mean, the way they play their front three at times, uh, he, he's a good fit for the system. Uh, he's just got to take his game to the next level. Uh, if memory serves me, I think he missed most of 2019 with an injury, showed flashes last year, played very well against Kansas State, just has to take his game to the next level. Don't know if he makes the uh, active roster, but I can definitely see him being on a practice squad this year. And moving on to the Las Vegas Raiders here, a team who did some confusing things, uh, especially in the first round when they selected Alex Leatherwood, left tackle out of Alabama. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we like Alex Leatherwood. You know that we think he's a good offensive lineman, a solid pass blocking left tackle. But Christian Darisol is on the board here and you take Alex Leatherwood. Uh, you know, if, if we talk about, you know, we like Alex Leatherwood, well, we really like Christian Darisol. Um, so to, to pass on Darisol and just the athletic ability and the size and just what he's going to bring to your offensive line, the nastiness uh, to pass on him for Alex Leatherwood, who just doesn't have, you know, anywhere near the same level of upside is it's just a shock to me, Tony. Were you shocked as well? You know, I, I was asked before the draft when I did a bunch of interviews around the nation, what team would pull a shocker in the first round? And my reply was, well, since the Seattle Seahawks don't have a first round pick this year, and they're always surprising everybody, it's got to be the Las Vegas Raiders. And, and you know, I, I know I had a, a conversation with a longtime giant scout that said, if there's a guy that you really like and you really want, you got to roll the dice. And I understand that. But the fact is they've rolled the dice on Damon Arnett a year ago. And they took him much higher than anyone thought, even though there were character issues on him. And Mike Mayock is saying, you know, basically bringing up those character issues after his rookie year because it was so poor. And I've been told that Arnett's got one foot out the door. They, they rolled the dice on Cleveland Farrell, a player who I really liked a lot. That has not panned out for him. So I, I understand, you know, if, if there's a player that you really want, you really think you need to have and he's your type of guy, you, you know, you go after him. But when you're doing that time and time again, and these players are not panning out, you know, they're not living up to expectations and all the criticism of these players that you took them much earlier than they should have gone is turning out to, to come true. Eventually somebody's going to lose their job. And let's not forget, I mean, in the lead up to the draft, the Raiders were given away many of their offensive linemen. They were ready to cut guys like Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson until the team said, Hey, listen, we'll give you a draft pick for those guys. Cause those guys could still play. So, uh, you know, they're giving away, granted, you're talking about a garden center, but they're giving away those guys who are good offensive linemen, you know, getting marginal things in return. And then they take a guy like Leatherwood who, listen, as Chris said, both he and I have really liked Leatherwood. I, I have gone on record saying, I don't know that Leatherwood is necessarily a right tackle. I still think he can play left tackle. But, but you know, you give away offensive linemen and then you reach for an offensive lineman in the first round. It's just strange. I, I mean, to me, it's, it's just absolutely strange. And you look at the, what they've gotten in return for the trades for Khalil Mack and the trade for Amari Cooper, they have not capitalized on what they've gotten in return uh, for those players. So uh, really, they, they got to turn it around or there's going to be a lot of people fired in, uh, in Las Vegas. Yeah, and uh, John Gruden's not going to be one of them with his massive contract. But uh, three picks on the second day. For the Raiders, Trevon Merrig, safety out of TCU at pick 43 in round two. And then two consecutive picks in the third round, Buffalo defensive end at Malcolm Kuntz and Virginia Tech 
uh, linebacker Divine Diablo. At least he was announced as a linebacker, played safety for the Hokies. But, you know, he's 225, 230 pounds. He's a big guy. So the Raiders are going to try to do kind of what they tried to do with Tanner Muse last year before he got hurt and take a college safety who's a, a bigger type, a strong safety guy and move him to linebacker. I think Diablo is a better fit for the linebacker position than Tanner Muse was last year, just in terms of the way he hits and the way he defends the run. Uh, Malcolm Kuntz is a guy, you know, very productive for Buffalo. Again, doesn't have outstanding size, doesn't have outstanding speed, but he goes top 100. And I actually like that. I think he's a good pass rusher. I think he, you know, plays fast. I think he knows what he's doing on the field. So he's not a guy that you say, oh, well, he has the speed and he doesn't play to his time speed. Uh, Malcolm Kuntz, if anything, is the complete opposite. And then Trevon Merrick's probably the best player that the Raiders drafted. Uh, you know, he's a versatile type. You know, he doesn't have the deep speed to truly be, you know, a rangy center field type. Um, but, you know, he's he's versatile. He can play a bit of strong safety, play a bit of free safety. Um, you know, he's him and Jonathan Abram. They'll use Abram in the box and certainly they'll have Merrick a bit more in the back, you know, could expose him a little bit. But, you know, you definitely can't argue that he was a better value pick than Alex Leatherwood. But, he, you know, you could easily argue if you wanted to that he's just the better player and they got him 26 picks later. You know, but even here in day two, I, I agree that Merrick was a terrific, uh, was really good value. And if his back is healthy, this will be, you know, I believe a selection that uh, Raider fans look back on fondly. Malcolm Kuntz went much earlier than I thought he should have. But even with Malcolm Kuntz, I, I mean, they signed in York way. And if I'm mispronouncing his name, I apologize in the offseason to a big contract. They got Max Crosby there. You know, I go back to what I said with Denver. If you like to play Malcolm Kuntz, that's fine. But you take him in a third round. Who knows? I mean, he's going to be a situational player at best. Divine Diablo, a big, strong safety type. You're going to move to outside linebacker. Great. But he's a projection there. And the Raiders need guys that are going to come in and play right away. So and then you go on, you know, they take Morig, they take Diablo, who they project to uh, outside linebacker. And you come back and take another safety and Tyree Gillespie at the top of round four. So I, I just see there's no rhyme nor reason to their selections. Yeah, and Tony mentioned that Tyree Gillespie pick at round four here. I mean, Gillespie, he, you know, he's a guy with good upside. Uh, certainly they got him at pick 143 in round four, but, you know, a guy that you probably could have had a little bit later on in the draft, Nate Hobbs, cornerback out of Illinois in round five. Um, you know, if you're looking at the 2019 film, uh, you could very easily see a fifth or sixth round pick. If you're looking at the 2020 film, you know, he, didn't quite play up to that level certainly has the upside to, to meet this pick, but you know, another guy that essentially you're drafting at his ceiling. And then Jimmy Morrissey was their seventh round pick offensive lineman out of Pittsburgh at number two thirty. I mean, you know, overall, Tony, it's hard to say too much positive about what the Raiders did in this year's draft. And I feel like that's a refrain that kind of, you know, we've been saying for years at this point, the last few, at least. Well, for a couple of years, and it's difficult for me because I like Mike Mayock. I like him personally. He's a good guy. And I, you know, when he got the job and people asked me what I thought, I said, you're not going to get, you're not going to hear me say a bad word about Mike Mayock because I like him and I want to see him succeed. But, you know, I, I mean, like you said with Nate Hobbs, okay, it's a fifth round pick, but I mean, what is he, a dime back? Maybe. Does he make the active roster? Jimmy Morrissey, you basically traded away Rodney Hudson and you got Jimmy Morrissey. I, I like Jimmy Morrissey, but I like him as a starter maybe two or three years down the road as his own blocker. Again, not a lot of rhyme or reason uh, with their selections here. Now, a bunch of guys they signed after the draft, Trey Raggis running back out of Louisiana Lafayette, his teammate Elijah Mitchell was drafted by San Francisco. They formed, you know, a kind of committee uh, also including Ray Calais, who was drafted in last year's draft, uh, but really good size 
for a rag is 230 pounds, definitely more of a downhill back, you know, good production in a committee, but not a guy that's really going to help you as a receiver, but could make the bottom of the roster and play in goal line and short yardage type of situations. A Dylan Stoner, wide receiver out of Oklahoma State, kind of played second fiddle to Tylen Wallace, but was an excellent compliment to Wallace. Doesn't have great size or speed, kind of like his former teammate, but a good receiver who, you know, probably has a chance to make the bottom of this roster. Absolutely. I mean, he's a guy who probably should have been drafted. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but very reliable. Uh, I mean, Matt Bushman, they rolled the dice on Matt Bushman. Matt Bushman, two, three years ago, looked terrific at BYU. It's been nothing but injuries uh, since then. Max Richardson, I, I think, was an interesting selection. I think he's a good fit for that system. Uh, I mean, he's your prototypical weak side linebacker in a 4-3, which is what the, uh, what the, what the Raiders will play, although they're, they're a bit interchangeable with that. Uh, I, I mean, nothing over the top here, although some guys who could make it the back end of the roster, as you said. Now, moving on to the final team in the division, the Kansas City Chiefs did not have a first round pick because they traded it for Orlando Brown to help their offensive line that you know definitely struggled at times last year, was exacerbated, certainly in the Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes was running for his life. But they did have two second round picks. They used the first one on Missouri linebacker Nick Bolton and the second one on Oklahoma center Creed Humphrey. I mean, the Humphrey pick was awesome value. I mean, this is a guy that you could easily have seen going in the early part of the second round and not batting an eye, you know, an excellent athlete, good in motion, good out to the second level. Um, you know, he's an excellent addition along with Orlando Brown. I mean, the chiefs kind of going through and, and trying to you know remake their offensive line and literally one off season and, and doing a pretty good job of it. Nick Bolton, uh, undersized type of guy, you have to keep him clean, but he can get after the ball, put up huge tackle numbers at Missouri, probably eventually going to end up being in the starting lineup for the chiefs. Tony, what'd you think of these two picks? Well, you know, we talk about, or I just talked about, no rhyme, no reason what, what the Raiders did in the draft, even in the offseason. It's the exact opposite in Kansas City, which is why they are you know, going to be playing for a position in the Super Bowl, if not playing for the Super Bowl championship, you know, many years moving forward. The Orlando Brown trade right before the draft started basically set them up. I, I mean, they, they answered their need at left tackle. They hope they answered their need. Oh, and by the way, they also signed Joe Thune to a huge contract in free agency as they brought in uh, Austin Blythe as well. So uh, that need is off the board. You get Nick Bolton, who is a terrific fit for that system, a run and chase linebacker out in space. I know you time poorly. Uh, in the 40, but he plays fast and he plays lights out on, on uh, every single down. And, and like you said, I, I mean, Creed Humphrey, I, if he's not starting the starting center for the Kansas City Chiefs by the end of his rookie year, he'll be starting uh, center for the Kansas City Chiefs in 2022. And he's going to be there for a long time. Yeah, terrific value. Got pushed down draft boards because he's got short arms, but he's mobile. He's nasty. He's smart. It was a Good offensive center for uh, Oklahoma for three years. You could see it from his freshman season there. He was going to be a real good NFL prospect. I mean, you know, literally since the day the season ended and the uh, they lost the Super Bowl, the Kansas City Chiefs are a much better team now than they were the day they lost the Super Bowl to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now four picks on the third day. For the Chiefs, one in the fourth round, that was Florida State defensive end Joshua Kando, a guy with a lot of upside, not a lot of production to speak of, but certainly has the length and the athletic ability to be a force off the edge and, you know, to get a guy that can rush the pass or potentially down the line with this level of upside, you know, in borderline top 150 pick, uh, you know, another good value for KC. 
two picks in the fifth round where Duke tight end Noah Gray should back up Travis Kelsey. You know, move tight end type, not going to really hold up at the line of scrimmage. Uh, didn't have a great 2020 season, uh, but, you know, should fill a role on the depth chart for KC. Cornell Powell, wide receiver out of Clemson at 181. I mean, this guy didn't really play much uh, before this season, but you look at what he did in 2020, him and Amari Rogers came out and they played good football. Powell has nice size. Uh, you know, I think he was actually referred to in training camp as a beast by Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, keep that in, in the back of your mind here for what Powell has the potential to be. And then, I mean, you want to talk about value. Trey Smith, guard from Tennessee at pick 226 at the end of the sixth round. I mean, this is a guy whose draft stock really plummeted due to blood clots. And, you know, he has starter potential at the next level in the sixth round. Now he's not, you know, a guy that's going to move outside the box. He's not going to get to the second level super well, but, you know, in a phone booth, this guy is an animal. And, you know, you add these guys, as you mentioned, they signed Joe Thune as well. I mean, you know, just a complete rebuild of the offensive line. That doesn't even include Trey Smith. So if you can, you know, keep him healthy. If he can stay on the field, if he can continue to get clearance and he can play up to his upside, I mean, you know, you got another second round offensive lineman late in round six. And remember, I mean, Smith has not had, has not had recent problems with the blood clots. He played well in uh, 2020 that had terrific uh, three days of terrific practice at the senior bowl. When, when they're looking at it from a medical perspective in the NFL, what they're looking at is, what could happen three, four years down the road? Is the guy going to be a second contract player? And if they don't believe the guy's going to be a second contract player, he's going to get downgraded significantly. But you know what? Roll the dice with Trey Smith. Why not? I mean, like you said, hopefully he stays healthy. But if the situation worsens and gosh forbid he can't play football moving forward, well, you know what? You lost on a six-round pick. I mean, Cornell Powell, Noah Gray, those guys could potentially add depth if they make the active roster. The Chiefs are always looking for a pass rusher. They're always either via trade or whatever. Pass rusher is always a need. Kando, I mean, he's a terrific athlete who's got a great amount of upside. He was highly rated. Some teams had him as a second-round pick coming into the season as an underclassman, despite the fact he didn't have big production numbers. If you get him to capitalize on his physical skills, again, you know, you're looking at a team that has played in the past two Super Bowls that may have gotten a rotational pass rusher in the fourth round. Just a magnificent job by the Chiefs. A seven guys signed after the draft by KC quarterback Shane Bouchelle out of SMU, formerly played at Texas. Uh, You know, good game manager type. He's not athletic. He's doesn't have great size. He doesn't have a big arm. So he doesn't fit really any of those prototypes, but he's a smart guy who could definitely be an asset on the practice squad. If not eventually compete for a second or third spot on the depth chart, Malik Herring edge rusher out of Georgia, uh, listed as a defensive end here for KC, but his size would kind of tell you that he might be more of a three technique in their scheme. Did suffer an ACL injury at the senior bowl. Uh, interesting to see them kind of pick him up and knowing that, you know, he might not be healthy for the beginning of the season. Um, so, you know, obviously they see a lot of upside in Malik Herring. Tony, anything else stand out to you in the free agents for the Chiefs here? I like Michelle. I like Devin Key, the uh, safety from Western Kentucky. I, I like the linebacker from, from South Alabama, Riley Cole. Not the fastest guy in the world, but someone that you can, you know, understands the game. He's instinctive. You can put him on the inside. You can put him on the outside. You're, you're looking at Riley Cole as someone who is your sixth linebacker uh, at a very inexpensive cost. So I'll, uh, as well as the cap, I like the Caprio Boodle. Now that I'm looking at it right here. I mean, he's a guy who's got terrific cover skills. I could see him potentially making it as a dime back. So, you know, again, I, I mean, you're looking at a team that 
maybe none of these guys make the roster, maybe one or two, maybe make the roster and make the, uh, uh, make the practice squad, but, but that's a victory by itself. And that's it for the 193rd episode of the draft analyst presented by bet online and the Believe sports podcast network. Do you believe if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review, but feel free to ask us any questions to give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back later this week with the NFC West. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.